got a couple of new folks in here. Um, hopefully we'll have some more join as we progress, we usually do. But welcome everybody. Um, my name's Josh or Kujo. Uh, we got Dave, um, Dan, and Alex. Um, so uh, generally we, we do these uh, on a bi-weekly basis just to keep everybody up to date on what we're doing and kind of what's going on in the industry. Um, news uh, from across the uh, industry as well um, and uh, um, yeah so uh, feel free to chime in um, jump in if you've got a question or a comment uh, very informal guys uh, we love the audience feedback so the more you give uh, the more we have to play off of this is not just a presentation on uh, you know the uh, you know, governmental affairs, essentially, of, of the FPVFC, but uh, something we want your feedback on and, and ideas. And yeah, we definitely welcome your questions. If not, we'll just bore you with whatever we can find in the news. Exactly. So, um, although the news, while slow, um, not exactly boring um, this go around. So, um, let me see. Any more exciting news with the uh, Mars little helicopter doohickey? Uh, you know, I didn't look anything up. I knew it uh, performed um, most of its test flight or most of its flights. Um, it was only rated for five flights. However, they are planning on using the same style of drone on a future mission to Titan. Um, so that's pretty cool news. It went so well that we're going to send it to another, you know, in this <laughs> another case, planet. a moon. But, um, but uh, you know. To, to come in a, a day late on, on May the 4th, uh, it's not a moon. <laughs> um, sorry, I had to. I couldn't help myself. Um, let me... <laughs> Dave's not happy with his ambiance. <laughs> He's got to clean it up a little bit. All right, so let me share my screen real quick, and uh, hopefully this works. I'm going to go live. Uh, let's see. I always forget. I have to click the watch stream button to make that show up. There it is. All right, and then um, I'm going to go ahead and drop these links into this. So uh, this is uh, dramatic oh, drone good. footage of a tornado before disaster strikes. So an experienced storm chaser, Brian... And Finger had a close shave with a raging tornado a couple days ago. Eager to capture some dramatic footage of the extreme weather event, and Finger sent his DJI Mavic 2 Pro right towards the action while being sure to keep a fairly safe distance. Um, the footage um, shows the tornado's awesome power as it barreled across the land near Yazoo City, uh, Mississippi on Sunday, May 2nd, battering a farm forest and sending debris skyward. Um... So Mfinger said that the sound you can hear in the video is mostly from his controller, though you can also hear his vehicle's navigation system, offering him probably the most important set of driving instructions <laughs> he's ever received. Oh, man. Um, these guys live uh, dangerous lives. So we're going to go ahead and play this. Yeah, that's. I watched this. It was really good footage. Just crazy. I'd still and I love... do believe he lost his drone. Yeah, that's what I heard, too. <clears throat> I would love to see how close I could get to a tornado with an FPV drone, but yeah, technically I'd probably have to be days, a lot closer to it. <laughs> one of these days, if you know, we haven't had a really good haboob here in Arizona probably in a year. 
or two, but one of these days I'd really like to fly close to that. That's insane. But also, you know, for these storm chasers, a great use of the technology. So yeah, that's just I mean, amazing. Coming from somebody who's living in a house that's been hit by a tornado, like this is really cool to see. Yeah. I mean, the, just the awesome power. Look at that. It's just getting pull up. all the debris flying around. Um, this is a seven minute video. Obviously, I'm not going to play the whole thing. Um, well, yeah, Alex, and volcanoes, got, tornadoes. We've got more on the Iceland volcano too, so just wait. Four horsemen, pestilence. <laughs> right. Yeah, can you get some good drone footage of cicadas? Yeah, I know they're 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 right this year, aren't they? So I've heard. <clears throat> All right, so um, close that. Um, next up, um, Skydio. As, oops, Skydio has start ship has started to ship its first X two Enterprise drones with prices from ten thousand ninety nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. So you know if you've got eleven thousand dollars <laughs> laying around, maybe you hit it big on uh, Doggy Coin or Bitcoin or you know any of the other cryptos that are going crazy right now. Uh, you can get yourself one. Um, so U.S. drone maker Skydio has begun shipping its first enterprise drones today with prices starting at an enterprise-worthy $10,999. Um, Skydio is best known as a pioneer of self-flying drone tech, but in recent years has shifted its attention away from a consumer market uh, dominated by ch Chinese giant DJI to courting enterprise customers instead. The switch is partly due to geopolitics. We've talked about this before where the U.S. government has blacklisted various Chinese drones over spying fears. Um, this means that law enforcement, military, and federal customers are looking to looking for more U.S.-based firms instead. Um, the switch helps Skydio boost a, to a $1 billion valuation, um, no doubt assisted by higher prices such, uh, such businesses can command. Um, so um, let's see... Comes in two major. The X2 drone comes in two major flavors. There's the X2D for defense and federal agencies, and the X2E for enterprises, first responders, and civilian agencies. Both units are available in two configurations. The first has a dual color thermal sensor and is optimized for long range situational awareness. Uh, looks like they have 4K 60 frame per second HDR cameras with 16 times digital zoom, 46 degree field of vision, as well as FLIR thermal camera. Um, those FLIR thermal cameras, if you haven't looked into them, those things alone are like in the four to five thousand dollar range just for one of those. So, I mean, that's half the price tag of this drone, um, considering. Um, prices for the color thermal configuration would start shipping today, start at oh, fourteen four, fourteen thousand four hundred ninety nine dollars. <laughs> um, and then uh, the color only units are available for pre order at the eleven thousand price um so uh it'll be interesting to see um these kind of pick up if uh yeah, and this uh, is a to me this is a clever uh, business strategy from skydio if you think back to what uh, tesla did the first tesla was that uh, beautiful little hundred thousand dollar sports car that's a, a very intelligent way to enter the market with a a high price high margin 
uh, niche offering. This is uh, a little more than niche, certainly, but uh, an enterprise targeting as well as the good military contracts that Skydio has gotten. They are very, very um, uh, active in the ASTM working groups. They have their chairman is on uh, now a, a member of the DAC. Uh, so uh, an American company uh, working hard to uh, work the various angles of uh, uh, getting good uh, government and uh, municipal and uh, uh, safe public safety uh, contracts. So uh, while Dave was talking, I did play the little demo video for that uh, Skydio X2D. Um, and it looks like it's got a pretty big uh, battery on it. Um, the controller is a 6, 6 6.8 inch uh, AMO LED touchscreen. Um, and as well as glove compatible joysticks. So that makes it uh, uh, good for police, military, that kind of thing. We're always out in the field doing stuff like that. So, anywho, um, I think this just got announced today. Uh, Red Cat um, signs letter of intent to acquire Lugas Studios, who is the uh, developers and uh, publishers of Liftoff Drone Racing software. Um, so Red Cat is now, I believe they have uh, Rotor Riot is under their belt. Uh, Liftoff will soon be under their belt. Fat Shark is under their belt, as well as uh, Skyper Sonic, I believe. Um, so um, be interesting to see uh, what kind of comes to that. And then I do know that uh, they just uh, entered the NASDAQ market uh, last week, I think. So, and that did that. That's uh, to their a letter of intent says that they have um, uh, they're in discussions for uh, an acquisition or a merger of types, and um, it's not yet a definitive agreement. They have uh, it's not a closed deal, so we'll uh, yeah. uh, we'll keep an eye on this. But it it is unusual that a public company would announce a letter of intent. Uh, usually, uh, an LOI is. Uh, is uh, held very close to the vest, and it's uh, done so that you have a tie-up period uh, with the target target company that you're working with, so that they uh, agree not to uh, market themselves to other companies. But this is what uh, Red Cat has done in the past, so it's mm -hmm. uh, a repeat of what they're doing. So we we would anticipate that within and just my my guess completely, no no uh, uh, no information from anyone in the company. Uh, my guess would be that it, within 30 to 45 days, we would see another press release with uh, definitive agreements and a close date. Mm -hmm. um, it does say that uh, Lugas is planning to launch Liftoff Academy, which uh, I'm interested in. Liftoff is probably, you know, the the most uh, the the program that's seen the most use in my personal life in terms of, you know playing it, uh, learning tricks in it, stuff like that. So what's Liftoff um, Academy compared to the normal Liftoff? So it says it's a more expansive training platform which will teach drone pilots how to fly in various industrial environments, including oil and gas pipelines, cell towers, and automotive manufacturing plants. So, And I'm guessing that's like not to dive those towers and fly through probably the pipelines not. in FPV. <laughs> I think it's more of a training on um, inspection, and sure. which is a smart move, like to be honest. Hypersonic stuff? Yeah, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, so 
Um, I do know that uh, uh, Liftoff, they do, they're available for primarily on PC on Steam. Not that I'm advertising for them, but if you want to get your hands on it. Um, and then also available on PlayStation and Xbox. Although I'm not 100% sure if we've resolved the transmitter issue on at least PlayStation. I'm not sure on either one. I'm a PlayStation guy, so that's what I keep track of. But um, I may be completely wrong on that as well. But I do know last I heard that they were submitting uh, specs to Sony for basically approval of being able to connect a transmitter to the PlayStation 2. At any rate, there you go. Um, let's see. Um, so, bringing back your volcano, Alex. <laughs> um, so, absolutely insane footage of an FPV drone melting inside of an active volcano. So, drop everything you've been doing and get a load of this first. Uh, this comes from Drone DJ. Uh, for about six weeks now, drone pilot, and I'm going to butcher this name, but Bjorn Stein. Oh, never mind. Steinbeck. Oh, that was pretty easy. <laughs> has been consumed by the uh, Fregraldus uh, mountain volcano in southwest Iceland. When the long dormant volcano on the... Yeah, I'm not even going to say these <laughs> names. Um, uh, anyway, uh, ever since he's enthralled us with several draw-dropping videos flying directly over the crater and expertly maneuvering the drone between globs of fiery hot lava. This week, Steinbeck started a 12-hour live drone video stream from the volcano. But when it was time to conclude the spectacular event, he did the unthinkable. Steinbeck flew his drone right inside of the active crater. Yes, the lava bath melted the drone, but sacrifice, but its sacrifice did not go in vain. Just watch the insane footage of the drone transmitted back before succumbing to the heat. Take a look at that now. I can't imagine doing this on purpose. Like, this would hurt my soul. <laughs> did it say what drone this was? No. Uh, well, I don't know. It might further down in the article. But gosh, it's just, just too insane. Beautiful. It is. There was also while we're watching this, this is there was also another clip of I, it may have been him flying, but uh, of getting clipped by a piece of debris while he was flying. Can't believe it survives that long. Oh, jeez. Insane. I can't believe like. Oh. Does he point the camera down? I don't know. That's what I really want to see. Insane. Oh, there, uh, there we go. It's looking down a little oh. bit. Oh, jeez. About another meter away. And the camera's having some oh, problems. Oh, it's dying. The yeah, lens is melting. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Something's coming off of it. Oh. I don't know if they had an ND filter on there and it melted off or what. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And that's the end of it. Oh, gosh. So, pretty cool, though. Um, I, I definitely, he's done some beautiful shots over that volcano. Uh, definitely uh, congratulate him for all the stuff he's done. Uh, so watching the drone go, go towards the end was nothing short of heartbreaking or soul-crashing in, in my, you know, we'll, let's take it a little further than that. Or it's just but like you walking agree. out your front door in the summer, right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see. Um, let's see. It, it's actually surprising the FPV drone even lasted that long. Uh, DJI should be very proud of its mighty machine. Um, so maybe, maybe it's the oh, DJI FPV drone. It might be. Um, so, uh, 
Maybe DJI will send him uh, a replacement. I, I fully encourage DJI to send him a replacement. Just the things he's done on that on those games is just really convincing. So, um, at any rate, uh, congratulations to him. That would be uh, pretty neat. So, I think, Alex, it dep- the props are only in view depending on what settings you have on the camera. Might be a zoom. Like maybe a zoom and if you've got stabilization enabled or something, from what I've heard. So this is uh, pretty incredible. So um, a woman went missing last year, uh, I think in November, September, November, um, when her car, let's see, was first reported missing in November last year when her car was sighted near the Dry Canyon Trailhead in Diamond Fort Fort Canyon. Uh, This is in Utah. Uh, Utah County Sheriff's Officer deputies uh, search and rescue volunteers search the area only to find what looked like a disused campsite um detectives and search and rescue officials with the utah county sheriff's office searched the area by ground and from air but couldn't find anyone um let's see over the next several months and this is months months uh months Efforts were made to identify and contact family without success, adding detectives who had contacted the woman's former co-workers and found information suggesting she may struggle with mental health challenges. However, on May 3rd, a, a UCSO sergeant and search and rescue coordinator returned to the area with a group from a nonprofit aerial search organization in an attempt to find evidence that the woman might still be in the Diamond Fork area. During one of the first attempts, a drone crashed. As the team set out to find it, they came across a tent they believe had been abandoned. They sent the drone up and apparently on one of its first passes, the drone crashed. So they went looking for the drone that had crashed and doing that, they came across another small campsite where there was a tent. As they, looking at this, the zipper of the tent unzipped and this woman who we had identified the previous year in November and December of last year sticks her head out. The woman whose identity has not been released said that she uh, was said to have lost a significant amount of weight and appeared weak. Authorities believe she intentionally set up the makeshift home, telling officials she rationed some food she had available and foraged for grass and moss while drinking water from a nearby river to stay alive. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, they didn't find her with the drone, but they found her with a drone crash. So who knows? Crashing your drone might save somebody's life. But literally five months later, I mean, that's, that's insane. And that's a great story. So um, props to them for going out there with their drones and, and attempting. Um, also props to crashing in exactly the right <laughs> place at the right time. Somebody wanted this woman to be found. And not just giving up and uh, leaving your drone there and going to find right. it, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. Um, on that same subject, uh, this comes out of... Um, Michigan, I do believe, um, a new drone is being deployed on Lake Michigan. Actually, I think it's two of them um, that will drop a flotation device when a swimmer is struggling in Lake Michigan, according to a news release from South Haven area. The drone can be operated from shore by emergency responders. It will drop a CO2 charged water activated flotation device to swimmers struggling in the water. Infrared camera on the drone can be used to find swimmers in the dark. It detects heat signatures and can also use be uh, used for search and rescue in the woods, cornfields, and similar areas. Um, They're going to drop so, uh, life preservers in cornfields? Well, <laughs> probably for search and rescue efforts using the camera, but life preservers in Lake Michigan. So, 
Um, there were 56 people who drowned in Lake Michigan in 2020. Um, let's see. That passed the previous record of 49 drownings in 2012. There were 48 drownings in 2019. Um, so uh, pretty good. I mean, they're addressing an issue, obviously. Um, they're using drone technology to do so. And the drone can, I, I can almost guarantee you, get out faster than swimmers or even uh, people on a boat um, having to get into a boat, get the boat started, get out there, save them, whereas a drone can just go from zero to to um, out there fairly fast. So yeah, uh, seems pretty like incredible great, idea. Great use of a drone, get, getting stuff out there quick. Yep. Curious if they had to do a waiver for that, for dropping it because of the CO2 cartridge. Because last I... Uh, from what I remember, that you weren't really supposed to be able to do that. I'm pretty sure a there's rules that you can't drop anything, basically, from an aircraft. Yeah. So, well, you got a waiver for that. Like, they might have. Um, it has to be in a sparsely populated area, I'm pretty sure. Well, a beach is pretty sparse. <laughs> I would guess a lake where someone is drowning is probably, year. <laughs> probably pretty sparse. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, there'd be enough people to rescue the person, right? Right. But yeah. So, this, this one. Uh, Oh, go ahead, Alex. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, well, it didn't say anything. Okay. So this uh, this article actually comes from Alex. He sent this to me. So a um, hacking cars from the sky might sound like something out of a sci-fi Fast and Furious film, but researchers have shown how close it is to reality. They were able to crack open a Tesla's door with a remote hack from a drone carrying a Wi-Fi dog. Uh, these bugs were patched in October of last year, so the hack shouldn't be possible today, according to the researchers. But the benevolent hackers, Ralph Philip Weinman, CEO of Qnomen, and Benedict Schmatzel of ComSecurus, showed off their exploits today at the CanSec West conference, noting that they required no interaction from anyone in the car. Um, that would have made the hack particularly useful for would-be thieves. Uh, so they used a DJI Mavic 2 and a Tesla Model X. Um, so um, they have a talk here, and I'm not going to dive into that video. Um, actually, Kind of funny that they used a drone for that, but I'm guessing it's just to get their uh, uh, signals closer to the car without physically without being having... closer to it. Exactly. Um so it says they could have used the flaws to compromise parked cars and control their infotainment systems over Wi-Fi. It would be possible possible for an attacker to unlock the doors and trunk, change seat positions, both steering and acceleration modes. In short, pretty much what a driver pressing various buttons on the console. <laughs> um, the attack does not yield drive control of the car. So that's a good thing. Um, but, I mean, easily, you know, making it stealable. Could you imagine being like a security guard watching... Uh, security cam footage of a bunch of Teslas in a parking lot and they're like doors are opening and moving <laughs> around and someone's playing video on the entertainment system, changing the radio station. <laughs> it, that would be nuts. I did. Uh, there was a video, I think it was on Twitter somewhere. Um, it showed a uh, dealership or a holding yard for a bunch of Teslas and it showed them all going through their firmware updates. Um, oh. So Teslas update their firmware via satellite and um, they all like link their lights and all kinds of crazy configurations to show that, you know, the, the firmware updates happening and was accepted. And 
all that kind of stuff. And it just is like a wave of lights going across <laughs> this parking lot. It was pretty incredible. So, um, and then uh, I'm going to lead into Alex. Anything Alex has to talk about with uh, drone racing with this article that comes from Drone DJ. Um, and it talks about the different schools of FPV drone racing. Um, so this is a ongoing series at Drone DJ, which is a pretty cool series, but uh, a series of articles. Um, but drone racing is one of the more widespread types of FPV. After all, the term racing drone is more common than the term quadcopter, especially when somebody outside the hobby attempts to describe our 5-inch FPV quads. But racing isn't exclusive to the regular 5-inch. It comes in all shapes and sizes, from tiny indoor micros all the way up to 18-inch X-class quadcopters. <clears throat> There's even fixed-wing FPV racing. Since racing is a discipline of many sub-disciplines, um, instead of a rounding up, instead of rounding up work our way up so obviously the first one is whoop racing and this is uh um <clears throat> definitely um one of the uh i don't know would you say it was as popular more popular than five inch alex uh i'd say five inch is still more I popular i said uh i think Five inch would, is still more popular. I can hear Alex, okay. Josh may be having some technical difficulties. Hmm. Did his headset battery die? You'd hear me a second ago. Yeah. But now I'm sure he can't hear me. <laughs> not if he's got his Maybe headphones not. off his head. <laughs> uh, hold on. Okay. Hey, I'm back. Oh, where'd you? Okay. It's like, where'd you go? There you are. <laughs> can you hear me now? I can hear you now. So um, back to my previous question. Yeah, I'd say five inches more popular than whoop racing still. Yeah. But whoop racing's picking up. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, locally, I don't know if they still do, but I know locally they had a pretty big chapter that was doing whoop racing here in Phoenix. Um, <clears throat> and uh, um, I think they were using an office building, but whoop racing is great because you can do it indoors. Uh, you can set up, you know, DIY makeshift uh, gates um, pretty quickly, um, and uh, being able to do it indoors offers some interesting track configurations for sure. Um, also, the inertia put off by one of these whoops is not usually not. Uh, uh, big enough to really damage the drone if you crash, um, and there are relatively cheap entry points to drone racing, so a good way to get some practice. Um, then you got outdoor micros, um, and uh, these would be like your 2S whoops and your toothpicks. Um, these have been gaining popularity over the last probably year or two. People actually um, race outdoor micros? Uh, never... Yeah, tiny trainer. Okay. So yeah, it says the tiny trainer community is a cool community development, and you can learn more about it in the video below. Uh, it's with a link to, uh, of course, a Joshua Bardwell video. Um, and then you've got the uh, standard five-inch quads, um, and uh, most common type of drone racing you'll see is the five-inch class. These race races are typically multi-GP league races and have their own tiers from rookies to pro. 
Um, <clears throat> but what makes a five-inch racing quad stand out compared to their freestyle counterparts? They're built for two things and two things only, speed and agility. Smoothness is not something racers are concerned about, um, as at those speeds, it turns out the quads are bound to shake a bit anyway, rather than focus on handling. They're not there to capture footage. They're there to go through all the gates as fast as possible. Um, and typically, they'll run 20-20 stacks and other micro-sized components to save weight, combined with a smaller profile frame and bottom mount bracket. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, I think... So this would be a freestyle drone that I have kind of pushed towards its limits on weight. Um, and it is closer probably to a racing drone than a freestyle drone. Um, and then this is going to be a pure racing drone. I think this is like Luminary Chief. Um, and, uh, and these are uh, super, super thin arms meant for less drag, um, more area around the prop. More or less, more lightweight than less drag. Yeah, uh, well, compared to the wider arms, for sure. Um, and then just minimal, minimal body. Um, and, Every uh, time I look at one of those racing ones, like, where do you put the GoPro? You don't. <laughs> you don't <laughs> use one, right? Well, then what's the point? <laughs> I did design a GoPro mount for the Lunar Chief. I think it's on Thingiverse. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I tend to use racing rigs for freestyle um just because i like the speed that's just me um and then you have spec racing um spec spec racing uh is going to be uh basically everybody goes in with the same configuration same escs same flight controllers same motors same props um and it comes down more it, it edges the needle more towards pilot competence than um the gear that you're actually flying kind of like a nascar so, or stock car racing for drones. absolutely but the, you don't go and most, just go in circles yeah the current uh main spec racing that's going on is with the freedom spec mm -hmm. that's uh, basically the 5533 frame motors and 3s instead of 6s and i think so, they're trying to get a freedom spec uh race going here in phoenix uh, if i remember correctly from the facebook groups but uh it seems to be pretty popular it surprises me that they're doing 3s on that um as opposed it's just to, to focus on your line more than speed gotcha. because every every mistake is amplified on 3s mm -hmm. because you can't recover as quickly that's true that makes sense um and might does it make it do you feel it makes it a little more beginner friendly as well uh it could mm -hmm. but i haven't done it so i don't know is it a lower it might. is it a lower cost point alex uh than a, than a five five inch it is a five inch oh I'm sorry. It, it is a five inch it's just a just, certain set of specs that you have to do it actually to. might be more expensive because you're using basically heads up products which i think that's like 23 a motor and then 50 or 45 for the frame uh, and then i don't think there's any specs about the flight controller or the esc but yeah but you have to use a set frame and set motors 
And then uh, obviously outside of that, you have the um, X class. Well, there's a couple different class: Pro class, Beast class, X class. The giant um, ones. <laughs> yeah, and I would love to build one of these one day. Uh, just the cost of all the components is insane. I mean, just the motors alone. I think they're running, you know, beginning price point at like 150 per motor. Um, but it would be incredible to be able to do that. Um, you have to be able to afford the crashes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's called you don't crash them. <laughs> yeah. Or you, you have I a mean, sponsor. <laughs> I would not race these. I, I, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm not a racing person, but, uh, so crashes I could probably avoid. But, um, yeah. So pretty, pretty interesting article on, uh, if you're new to, you want to get into drone racing, check out drone DJ's series of articles on FPV and drone racing um pretty good uh pretty good information there um uh, and this is coming from uh vladimir munkin um so uh he's based in serbia so he's a uh, active racer but uh on that note alex what do you got for us today well i got the parts that the top pilots are using so cool yeah uh let me uh i think i might share my screen for this one because yeah, the, this, this, these are based off of surveys from 2020 global championships. And so these are going to be the top pilots at nationals. And yeah. So, so the top pilots are willing to tell, to share what they used or they're planning on using something totally different the next year. So it's okay <laughs> right? to tell you what you used to want Sad win this year. <laughs> um, well, everyone, it's a community, and we share information. <laughs> so, this is true. Uh, yeah, it's not like other racing communities. As well as people are also most likely going <laughs> to change stuff. I, <laughs> I changed half of my parts already. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, is it sharing? Uh, let's see. I can click on it now. There we go. And see some nice so, pie, pie charts. Yep. So, frames at champs. Most popular was the switchback, which is the heads-up frame. Uh, then, I guess the next second one was the floss. So that's uh, I'm that's probably one of the newer versions to the original version of the floss. You can also see that in the motors that people used, most was also the heads-up motors. So there's a little bit of a reason behind all this heads-up stuff because he won two times in a row almost won three times in a row. Uh, then for the props, most popular props, HQR38 also hits prop. Um, so there's see. a lot of copycats there. Yes. Uh, second most fa good favorite prop was the 51466s from GemFan. Um, but yeah, the HQR38 and the GemFan props, those are pretty much what the top pilots are using. I'm currently using the R38 um, motors. I'm using the iFlight motors, the Zing V2s. Well, I'm going to be. I just, yeah. And then frame, it's the custom frame that I use. But uh, goggles, that's where it's mixed up a bit. You got a couple Orca, HDOs, HDO2s, uh, Fat Shark. They're mostly Fat Sharks, but that's what most of the community uses, anyways. Some were using DJI, but with the analog mod, and then Skyzone. Um, 
cameras that top pilots were using. So most of these are actually, yeah, most of these are nano cameras. So Foxier Predator Nano and Runcam Nano, those were pretty much what people were using. Interesting to sort um, of see that it's like 50-50 Runcam and Foxier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Add them all up. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of pilots are more using Foxier now, at least in racing, because Runcam is getting is a little it's expensive. Foxier has a little bit lower cost than Runcam, okay. so both... every time you break your camera, it adds up. And the quality is similar enough that you might as well go with the cheaper one. Yeah, you d- there's not much difference in that. Uh, radio control link. This is where it gets split up quite a bit, and you can also see that there are some people on some newer stuff as well. So there's some people. A lot. Of, most people are on Crossfire. Uh, I guess second would be FR Sky, third Spectrum. But then we get some people were already running Ghost, and then a very few people had Tracer by then too, and that's just released. So these pilots have just switched over to Tracer. Yeah, that one. Um, this graph will definitely be interesting to see how it changes throughout this year. I have a feeling that at Champs this year, it's going to be Ghost and Tracer for the most part. I can almost, yeah, Ghost and Tracer are going to take up half of it because ha- almost all the top pilots I know have already switched. Wow. Yeah. You don't think uh, Crossfire is going to hold a, a significant market share there? Uh, racing, not for the top pilots, no. Because, well, like, so, like one of my friends who I currently fly with, he just switched to Tracer. Uh, I recently switched to Tracer. I know all the top pilots at the races I go to now, a lot of them are using Ghost too. So, hmm. it, yeah, Crossfire's dying out for racers pretty much. Uh, software, most are using Betaflight, some using Falco X, but uh, some people like Falco X for some reason, but. Uh, a lot of others like beta so, flight. Absolutely zero kiss or anything else. Just no. Who would use kiss to race? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Interesting. So okay. So no iNav people autonomously racing. <laughs> uh, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, ESCs. You can see Hobbywing takes the cake, but it's, then it's pretty split up between the rest. I have a feeling that the Redux ESC you're going to see a lot more pilots using. That's the one where they basically said, if you destroy it, we'll replace it when they were doing their prototype batches. Um, so that's going to take some stuff. But the Hobby Wing, that's, uh, I think I have that on two of my racing builds, and it's pretty solid ESC. Um, but other than that, yeah, that's Boy, I pretty don't even split see... for the rest of them. My ESC I use for freestyle is not even on the list. What's that? Uh, Holy Bro. <laughs> oh, Holy Bro. That's too expensive for racers. <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna break it anyways, so not, why why waste our money on it? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. Then if we go looking at goggle modules, most people are using rapid fire. We got TBS Fusion in second, and then it's split up between Trudy, and then we got Owl RX, Foxier Wildfire, and Clearview. Uh, so yeah, that's. Would but you Rapid predict? Fire took the cake. Would you predict that any of that will change over time? Uh, 
I have a feeling that the TBS fusion will actually increase some, mainly because of its ability to link with Crossfire and Tracer. Sure. To just you can switch it on the module and switches on your quad. I have a feeling that that might, but yeah, I'm not sure that's gonna. Yeah, if you already have rapid fire, buying fusion is not really that big a difference. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it. Yeah, Rapid Fire is still going to hold a pretty good lead, but I could see TBS growing. Now, batteries, they're, Tattoo takes the top, but there's other than that, it's split between a ton of different stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess next up we'd have China Hobby Line batteries, or well, maybe, yeah, or GNB. GNB batteries were pretty popular. Uh, Pulse, that's it. That looks like was also up there, but there's, yeah, just the one with GNB at 5%. A couple of China Hobby lines, those, yeah, 3.8% each. Yeah, Tattoo but, yeah. really, really takes it there. Mm-hmm. But you, you can combine see, those two. Yeah, uh, they're more expensive, but, and those were the V3s, so pilots are probably going to be using the V4s this season. Is that what you uh, They really made a name for themselves early on in FPV yeah. racing uh, with their high C you know, discharge. Exactly. Uh, I could see GNB growing a bit. Uh, China Hobby Line is definitely going to increase some, probably. It might, I don't know, definitely, but it might increase. Um, Other than that, a lot of these batteries aren't going to last until champs, so pilots will be getting new batteries soon. Um, Yeah, and as you can see, no one was using... 4S, uh, few people were using 5S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were some people using 5S. I think there might have been one person who had 4S, but uh, they alternated between 4S and 6S. Um, then flight controllers, this is also pretty much split. Talon was most popular. Um, flight right. one was second, yeah. and that was the Falcon. Yeah, it's that yeah, same slice of pie as that Falco X people. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. You got the Talon Hobby Wing because a lot of people use the Hobby Wing ESC, but other than that, it's pretty much split. Uh, Pyro also, yeah, Pyro and Foxy are up there. Uh, let's, yeah, Synergy takes a small amount. That one is a board that you just mount your VTX and your receiver directly onto it, so it's a lot neater. And pretty easy to go to. HGLRC, I could see that growing a little bit. And Diatone, uh, a Diatone flight controller. Actually, I don't see any. Did no one use oh. any? Hmm. Apparently but I could not. see Di- I could see Diatone popping up on here uh, because they are they've been sponsoring a lot of pilots recently. So. Uh, so- there was a question in the chat about Express LRS. Oh. Is there any talk about that for racing? Obviously, I don't think that really existed when uh-huh. the survey went out, but yeah, have you heard much more so, about that since? I think the only thing that might get some people to use Express LRS in racing is the chip antenna that they have, because sure, yeah, even though that's going to decrease the range. An- ceramic antenna yeah. or something that's super tiny. Yeah, that even though that decreases the range, it we're not flying far at all with racing, so it doesn't matter too much. But I think the other thing is also, it ha- I'm not sure, since 
that's really cheap currently, and that's also made by Happy Model. That receiver, it's not to the quality and reliability that pilots are comfortable to switch yet. It hasn't been proven long enough for how switch suits. Like, so with Tracer and Ghost, those are coming from TBS and Immersion RC. So those are reliable companies, easy to jump on the gun, basically, right away. Uh, but Express RS could be, uh, I wouldn't expect too much from it, maybe a few pilots. But yeah. Definitely hear a lot of talk about Express LRS lately. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, excitement about it, anyway. You want to see what the top uh, the top eight used? Mostly Switchback, and then Engineer used his own frame, mm-hmm. which I expect Engineer to use his own frame. Heads <laughs> up, uh, <laughs> yeah. Silo is up there. Vanover and Heads up, pretty much takes cake for that. Uh, the Heads up setup did win at Champs. Props, R38, so that got split a little bit more than I thought. I didn't expect Azure to be up there. Uh, 51.46. Then goggles, doesn't really matter goggles-wise. You can use anything. Um, cameras, yeah, run cam, and then Fox ear. Uh, yeah, control links. More of the top, the top pilots were using. Tracer and Ghost took a little bit more of that cake, and then you could actually see FR Sky was very little, and we got Catawba and Spectrum even higher. So there are more using, actually, none of them use Crossfire. Yeah, I see that. That's crazy. Yeah, so none of those top pilots use Crossfire. Yeah, I know um, Crossfire definitely has issues with a lot of people racing at the same time. Yeah. Um, then, yeah, Software, Betaflight, Falco X. Uh, so it's, that means two of them used Falco X and then the other six <laughs> used beta flight because yeah. <laughs> top eight. So yeah, easy math. Uh, ESC, that's pretty split evenly. Hobby wind takes it a little bit, but pretty evenly split. I'm surprised about the HGLRC making it up there because uh, in my past experience, HGLRC hasn't been to the quality, good enough quality. I was, just fall apart on me, but that could just be my luck. Then Rapid Fire and Wildfire take that one for goggle modules. Batteries, Tattoo, suck it. Yeah. And the Pyro and Flight 1 took the flight controllers. What this is telling me is that you can basically run any of the more popular stuff and still be in the top 8 or 10 of the racing scene. Oh, yeah. It, it's not really like a monoculture yet where, oh, everybody who's in the top 100 all does exactly yeah. this. There's, yeah, like, there's the, still a lot of variety, which is good to see. Yeah. Like the main thing, I think, is just the props. And most people are using Gem Fan and R, the 5146 and R38. There's, I guess, uh, I guess two people in the top are using them, but. Uh, those are the two props right now. I think the R35s are actually might take a slice soon. So I mean, it seems like in the it, it, overall one. Kind of to piggyback on what Dan was saying, you know, for those who are looking to get into to drone racing, it's not about you know, it's not going to be exclusive to the gear you fly on how well you do. A lot of it's going to come down to your skill. Exactly. The the nice thing about our hobby is the custom 
customizability of it. I say that word five times <laughs> fast. Um, but being able to um, you know adjust your flight controllers to the way you fly and um, making sure. I mean, the the important parts are you know that your gear is um, relatively reliable. Um, is going to be the the most part, and, and making sure you're getting the bang for your buck out of things like your battery and your motors. Um, and if you don't but, do well, you have a near infinite amount of reasons why your quad didn't work well, and things you can try <laughs> to replace to make it go better. Right. <laughs> right. So you know, and and while you know, it's interesting to see this. It's nice to also see that it's not exclusive to to one particular setup. So you know, if you're looking to get into the hobby. It's something you want to do definitely jump out there and and give it a shot um i mean there's a huge community and i think one of the things that first drew me to this community and um something that has you know come and gone over the several years that i've been in the hobby but first impressions was the amazing community built around it. and uh when i was starting people wanted to help people um would jump out there and that same community still out there there's groups like fpv builders and um uh other amazing uh facebook groups out there um who love helping other people succeed in this hobby and um there's also you know as any social media community kind of uh evolves there's always some uh you know stragglers uh around that like to cause uh, a ruckus but at the same time you know most most people in this community want to help so if you have a question ask um our discord is full of people just asking opinions and on stuff and and i'm glad that resource is there for everybody um so uh really big uh, shout out to the overall fpv community they're the ones that make us want to continue doing what we're doing and um being available for both uh, new and veteran pilots alike. I mean, heck, even veteran pilots have questions all the time. So um, none of us knows everything. Um, Dave, you got anything for us, sir? What's, well, just, what's uh, going on in the world of the DAC these days? Well, uh, before the DAC, I just mentioned Rampage. Alex is uh, yeah. headed to Rampage next week, and uh, with a little bit of luck, he'll have some FPV Freedom Coalition stickers with him. So just find me. That's it. <laughs> find Alex for your sticker fix. So we're we're happy to send uh, Alex, and uh, it should be a good a good time. And uh, if you're there, please say hi. On the uh, on the the DAC uh, scene and the a ASTM scene, uh, we're wrapping up uh, uh, two tasking groups. Tasking group nine, which is uh, low altitude situational awareness improved uh, improvements using remote ID information, and uh, tasking group 10, uh, gender-neutral language in aviation. Uh, so I'm involved in both of those, and uh, uh, like I say, we're wrapping them up, and it's still a tentative date. It's not confirmed, but it's uh, looking like it's June 23 is the DAC meeting. And on ASTM, we're still working to create an update to the F-38 F3411 standard, which is the remote ID standard from ASTM, which will be approved with a little bit of we're anticipating an approval by FAA, which will uh, create a means of compliance, which will lower the cost 
for anyone uh, developing and releasing a remote ID broadcast module or a standard uh, remote ID UAS. Um, I'm sure that'll be are, big big news once that ASTM standard is published. I think I think it will. I'm I'm hopeful that uh, uh, a number of companies uh, uh, jump on that and start using it. Uh, we we know of a couple who are already interested, and and that's good news. Uh, it uh, it looks like it'll be it will not be just one company, and that for the broadcast module, and that's good news for us uh, when we want to retrofit uh, our our uh, UAS and. Uh, both wings as well as drones. Yeah, I'll definitely be yeah. curious to see what comes of that and what kinds of modules <laughs> are available or will be available, if any. Yes, yeah, we're uh, yeah we're we're arguing uh, now about the some of the GPS uh, requirements of the rule, so uh, that will dictate uh, the baseline costs. So we're hopefully uh, uh, we went out on some of those and. Uh, that may delay the release of the uh, means of compliance. But uh, uh, like I've said uh, in past weeks, there are about 110 people involved uh, in these weekly meetings. Um, and these are uh, manufacturers associations, but these are deep technical uh, folks and senior level positions uh, volunteering time to work on a stand an international standard. So uh, my hat's off to uh, folks uh, um, uh, spending their time on this. It's useful for us and uh, also working uh, with the UTM or Unmanned Traffic Management uh, ASTM uh, standards group since I think the big areas for us to watch out after um, remote ID are beyond visual line of sight and then followed by unmanned traffic management. Big areas in terms of lots of regulation to uh, impede our uh, rights. But uh, making progress and Things going along pretty well. Excellent, thank you. Um, so uh, again, Alex will be at Rampage, um, and uh, do me all a favor for those of you who go see him, get some of our stickers from him. But do us a favor, leave one of your own if you've got them. Um, we'd like to have a, a collection of uh, stickers that Alex interacts with. Um, ask him questions if you've got questions about what's going on at the DAC, what's going on with ASTM, uh, regulations. And um, he's a, a very knowledgeable person, a, an excellent resource for FPV. And uh, if he doesn't know the answer, he'll find it. And he has all of us on, on speed dial if he needs uh, a little bit of assistance. So uh, we, we, we love that we get to go out and uh, interact with you guys at Rampage. Um, I wish more of us could go, but uh, being able to send Alex and uh, have him there. And as well as he's going to be a flight line monitor, correct? Yeah, one of the flight line managers. So not only is he going to be there to answer your questions, but he's going to help you guys stay safe while you're while you're out there having fun. So uh, pretty incredible uh, opportunity for us to be able to do that. And, and we're we're also going to have a Q&A there, too. So it's going to be a set Q&A. So you guys can also show up and ask me whatever question you want, and I'll do my best to answer it. I'll try to stump Alex. Alex, Alex asked me anything. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. About Thank FPV. You. Thank there you. you go. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for going. Absolutely. All right, so uh, anybody else have any questions, comments, concerns, anything? 
All right. Well, with that, uh, thank you for coming. We appreciate you guys being here again. Uh, tell your friends. We'd love to have them here, and we'd love to uh, have some uh, questions from you guys or anything that you want to offer. So with that, I will say good night and uh, give you back the rest of your evening. Thank you so much for joining us.